I mean, for me it is. I like Google One. Hello and welcome to the Android Police Podcast. My name is Daniel Bader. It is Friday, October 7th, 2022, the day after the Pixel event, a few days after the Nest announcements, and uh, about a week after we learned about Stadia's demise. So we have a lot to talk about today, so we'll not waste any time making fun of Will because he's very tired. I am very tired. So Will, how are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm. I'm you, you survived. Yeah, I'm recovering from my wild 24 hours in, in uh, the big city. My first time in New York. <laughs> Do you know city. that New York it's is called true. the Big Apple? Uh, Have you heard that? Someone before? told me. Someone stopped me on a street corner and told me that, and I thought and it sold was, you a T-shirt. Yeah, they sold me a, <laughs> a shirt. It says "I heart New York." I thought it right. would be appropriate since I also live in the state. Technically, it, it pulls double duty. They just know. They're like <laughs> this guy. He's from Buffalo. He's got the look. He's too nice for Manhattan. That's probably true. I didn't go to Manhattan. I only only was in Brooklyn. Oh, you went to Brooklyn. Right. Sorry. And R. Wagner, how are you? I'm jealous because I would have even 24 hours in New York would have been great because then I could have gone and seen something on Broadway now that Broadway is open again because it wasn't open when I went last year for Qualcomm. That's right. Oh. And you, you did okay through Ian last time we talked. Yeah, no, I. Battening down the hatches. 10 miles north and I would have been probably dealing with some water damage to either my car or my apartment, but um, I was lucky enough to be on basically the southwestern side of where Ian went up through central Texas, or central Florida. Sorry, guys. I'm I'm still a Texan at heart. Um, I was perfectly fine. I slept through the majority of it because the worst of it was getting here at like 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. And at 1 a.m. I was like, oh, I've hit my limit on anxiety. I'm just going to go to bed and what happens happens. <laughs> And I woke up and everything was fine for me and not for the rest of the city. Well, we are definitely thinking about everybody who was affected because the devastation was total, awful. I'm so sorry uh, if, if you were part of that. Uh, we're sending our love and support. So let's do this. We'll give the people what they want. We'll start with the Pixel event. We're going to go in reverse chronological order today because our memories are not as good as they used to be. I mean, mine isn't. So I'm going to forget things quickly. So let's go talk about the Pixel phones and the Pixel watch. We'll then talk about the Nest announcements quickly. And then we'll end on a dour note talking about Stadia. But Will, you were at the event. Give people the sort of quick inside baseball about what a tech event looks like in 2022. You were saying earlier that the event space was pretty cramped and the hands-on event was a little chaotic, but walk us through what it was like for you. Yeah. Um, I should also mention this was my first event because I, of course, I started working at Android Police during COVID. So I just have not been able to go to anything before this. Um, there just hasn't been many opportunities. Yeah, so it was uh, in Brooklyn at a, an event center. It was relatively small. I think it was smaller than... I was there with Stephen Schenk, and I think it was smaller than both of us thought it would be. Probably, I don't know, 50 or 60 seats total, if I had to, to, to guess. We were upstairs. We saw there was a mezzanine area, and we, we went upstairs, and that was extremely small, but also worked out well because we kind of had a, a better view, I think, than we would have downstairs. After the event, they split us into two groups. Half of uh, the attendees went to the new Brooklyn Google store down the street to get, you know, hands on with with the uh, devices. And half of us stayed back while they transformed. They tore down the stage and then 
transformed it into a hands-on area like literally like loading in like a wedding yeah it was like loading in 12 foot by 12 foot display boxes essentially it was impressively done they did it as quick as they could i think we were outside for like 15 minutes it was it was very funny they were like everyone's gonna step outside get some fresh air and then and we'll be right back for sunlight for all of our pasty <laughs> yeah <selves. laughs> Yeah, and and so from then we we went back in, got to um, pass around devices among everyone who was still there. So it was a little chaotic, but I was able to try both phones and the the watch. I should say, obviously, they went more into detail about the Pixel tablet, which is coming next year. That was not there, but they did have a bunch of Nest Hub Maxes set up, and I watched probably everyone there go up, think it was the tablet, realize it was not the tablet as they tried to pull it off uh, a dock that does not exist. Oh, I'm so uh, sad. I, I missed that. And, and like, I'm not innocent here. Like, Steven and I walked up and was like, is that the tablet? And I was like, oh, no, the bezels are too big. Like, everyone did this. Everyone was like, that must be... They wouldn't put out the Nest Hub Max. That's like two or three years old, right? It was the, it was the Nest Hub Max. Anyway, uh, yeah. Okay, so Pixel 7 and 7 Pro. Let's dive into the meat of this. We knew a lot about these products before... They were announced. The leaks were consistent. They were total in the days running up to the announcement. We basically knew everything and all of the leaks were correct. There were unboxings and there were renders and, and everything. But obviously getting your hands on a device, getting the official spec sheet, getting the context, I think is really important. So let's put those two together. Your first impressions of both the phones and Google's sort of positioning of these phones as successors to the Pixel 6 series, what does that look like to you? I think the 7 Pro coming from the 6 Pro, it's iterative as we all expected it to be. It is a more refined design overall, but generally speaking, the corners are curved a little different. You know, obviously it's got that brushed or, or polished, I think they say polished uh, aluminum frame and camera bar cover, right? But it's very similar. It's like very, very slightly smaller, but you would never know unless you were holding the two next to each other like I was. The two-tone design is gone. It's all like one color with the camera bar. But overall, physically very similar. The Pixel 7 really surprised me. The switch to a 6.3-inch screen from a 6.4-inch screen combined with making the bezels smaller because the bezels on the 6 are... I don't want, they're not big, but they're big by modern standards, I would say, on the standard Pixel 6. They were also just like big in comparison to the Pixel 6 Pro. Like, yes. Where did that $300 go? It went to the bezels or lack thereof. It, and it wasn't just because one had a flat display and one had a curved display. It was like the entire top and bottom bezels were also much, much larger between the two models. The 7 is like more what you would think of a phone of like, well, we took the 7 Pro, made it smaller and made the screen flat. The bezels are, are like, they're much better. And the whole thing just feels more compact because of it. It it feels better. It's not small, obviously. It's, I have not actually held a Pixel 6a, but I would assume the 6a is obviously smaller because it's got a smaller screen. But it, I think it is like, if you want a smaller of the two flagships, like, it, it will actually satisfy you this year in a way that I don't think the Pixel 6 did last year. So it's really interesting because I'm, I'm pulling up the comparisons on GSM Arena 7, 6, and 6A. So it is obviously closer in size to the 6 than the 6A, but you're saving 10 grams of weight, which is significant. It's three millimeters 
shorter than the six, a millimeter and a half narrower, and very slightly thinner. So all that together, it is a much more compact phone in practice. And it does seem like the savings that Google was able to achieve with the six were very noticeable. Whereas with the seven, you're getting that flagship quality product at the same $599 price, which will, I hope, kind of lead more people to go for the seven this year, especially since Google's put a lot of emphasis on how, and this will obviously bear out in the reviews, whether it's true, but the camera zoom, the thing that is the biggest hardware difference between the six or the seven and the seven pro, that's kind of less of an issue this year because you have better quality super res zoom. That's on paper at least. I wrote about this yesterday on the site after my hands-on went up, but I I, I genuinely think the seven's hardware is, is like nicer this year. I think specifically the flat screen, because the bezels are not really an issue anymore. So the flat screen combined with the matte aluminum that for some reason, Google's not alone in this, but Google and, and other smartphone companies see as like, oh, well, the cheaper model gets the matte metal and, and all the glossy polished metal goes on the premium ones. It just feels so much better when you're holding it without, obviously without a case. You know, if you're going to slap a case on these, which most people are, it probably doesn't matter as much. And but, um, I'd say it still matters. It's just weird that like Apple's guilty of this to a certain extent. Like I think Samsung has done stuff like this in the past, but it's just weird. This uh, obsession with like glossy, shiny materials being premium these days. I don't get it. I don't think people feel the same way as tech companies do about this. I don't know. Yeah. And especially because the matte finishes are going to look better over time. Like the shiny ones, every single scratch and scuff is going to be instantly visible. It will show every fingerprint you have ever laid on that camera bar across the middle. It's just not great. It's a luxury device that is obviously meant to be like polished and kept in a like not even just a phone case. It looks like it's made to be kept in a display case with all the shine going on here. And that's not a great thing for something that you're supposed to hold all day and keep in your pocket. I obviously don't know how old the display devices were. I don't know how they were treated when I wasn't looking at them, right? Like 20 minutes before. But I will say, like, I didn't notice any cosmetic damage on the matte aluminum camera bar on the 7, on any of the 7s I held. But, like, you could already see scratches or, or like, nicks on the 7 Pro, like, in the, the white and silver 7 Pro. So it is what it is. But I, I, I would imagine that the, the matte one holds up a little bit better over time. I think the only major regression for the 7, and you know, before we move on to the 7 Pro, is the battery size. So we're moving from a 4600 milliamp to a 4350 milliamp. Whether that can be made up for with improvements to efficiency in the Tensor G2 remains to be seen, but I'm not sure that will happen. Everybody I've spoken to you know, is, is less interested in the hardware improvements year over year than they are in the improvements to the SOC, right? Is it going to overheat? Is the modem better? Is the efficiency better? And if Google can achieve that with the G2, I think the Pixel 7 will be kind of a front runner for the best phone under 600 bucks or just the best mainstream phone in general. If not, then you're going to need that 5,000 milliamp hour battery in the Pixel 7 Pro to really get through a day. Manuel is reviewing the Pixel 7 for us. We'll hear about that next week. But yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm skeptical, to be honest. 
I am too. And obviously, the two biggest questions I have about the the Pixel 7 um, are, as you were saying, the battery and then also the modem uh, performance. Can't test either of those at a at a hands-on event, so that we'll have to wait for the full review. But um, their announcement really didn't cover either with, with, with Tensor G2. They really just focused on like AI improvements and, and machine learning improvements, which is totally fine, but but like I don't think they really even highlighted any oh, you know, like and and I was doing a lot at the event, so I might have missed it, but but I don't remember any like, oh, and it's twenty percent faster or anything like that. Like there was really no numbers at all. It was like Tensor G2 can do all of the AI stuff in in that we did last year, but better and and now there's more, which is awesome and no one else is really focusing on that for SOCs, not to this metric at least, but um yeah, all that is coming in the full review. Right. Pixel seven pro, the big one. You've held it now. You've kind of, as you said, it's very iterative, glossy or polished, as they say, aluminum. That I think is not going to age well, I'm guessing. But other stuff like the overall design, the radius of the curve on the glass is less severe. Is your initial impression that this all adds up to a bigger than expected improvement or is it as iterative as you implied? I think it's as as iterative. God, I can't say that word today. Uh, as as I implied, I totally forgot to bring up the curved screen. Uh, it it is certainly less curved. I was looking at it at the event like profile right next to the Stephen uh, Shank brought his six Pro, and it, it's so like barely curved at this point to the point where I I don't I don't know why they even kept it curved. Like I don't. I just think it makes it more annoying to hold without a case. I don't know. I'm really out on curved screens lately. I think it, it just feels more comfortable with just a little bit of, of bezel where your hand can kind of rest, your palm can rest. Um, it is definitely more comfortable than, than the 6 Pro, but between the curved screen and the polished steel, I, as you say, Daniel, I don't know how well this, this will age over time in terms of like, I think both of those are kind of on their way out, but we'll see. Other than the SOC, the display is the same size. It's specced almost, I think it's basically the same screen, but Google is claiming that it's brighter. Yeah, we tried so, that actually, but obviously we were inside in a fairly dim environment. It did look a little bit, it didn't look 25% brighter, but it did look a little bit brighter next to each other. Uh, the, the 6 Pro and the 7 Pro probably will matter more outside. So I will have to test that for the review. Okay, so the main change is on the camera. Now, the primary sensor is the same, but the ultra-wide is slightly wider this year, if I'm not mistaken. So it's got a 126-degree field of view over last year it was 114. This is sort of Samsung level wide, like we're not talking fisheye like the OnePlus 10 Pro, but it's wider, which I think people will be grateful for. And then the 48-megapixel telephoto sensor has now been paired with a 5x optical zoom rather than a 4x. Now, I think the best feature of the Pixel 6 Pro was like low-key the telephoto lens. It was sharp. It was beautiful. Like you could get some amazing shots from that thing. And I am so excited that you get a little bit more distance this year while I'm sure Google has improved the quality there. They're saying it's a 120 millimeter equivalent versus 104 millimeter on the Pixel 6 Pro. In practice, I don't think that's true. Like it's, it's, a, it's a phone lens, so it's still, you know, they're using a prism. Um, they're also saying that with the improvements to Super Res Zoom, you're getting 
usable 10x in most scenarios in good lighting and like 5x all the time will be great. So did you get a chance to test that at all? Or, you know, did you hear from them about it? Yeah, definitely. To be honest, most of my time with the the camera, I really only tested because it's very hard to get an idea of what this looks like uh, at the event. So so for the most part, what I played around with was the telephoto lens and then a couple of the, the video features. The telephoto lens, yeah, I thought 5X looked great. Obviously, I reserve the right to change my mind on that when I actually get it in the real world. But like zooming in on on things uh, around the hands-on event, I, I was really impressed with how it looked and how the, the like final processed image looked. It definitely doesn't want you to go full 30X. Like you have to kind of hold in the interface. You kind of have to like, hold your finger on 10x for a second to to keep zooming in uh, which is funny Uh, a big thing they were stressing this year was how they have like as you're zooming in you know past 10x you know 15 20 30x they want to make sure that like you can center a shot right because like if you're hands are even shaking a little bit at 30x like it's gonna be all over the place i have very shaky hands generally but also yesterday i hadn't eaten anything before this event stephen shank will tell you um since he was taking most of our photos uh he i'm sure i was driving him insane with how my hands were shaking it was able to basically at 30x like stop like the fact that my hands were shaking did not matter like it was able to like keep a steady look at whatever i had zoomed in at at 30x It, it was really impressive i didn't think it would work as well as it did the the 30x shots i took didn't look like incredible like they looked like they were zoomed in way way far but the 10x shots looked decent i want to try that out more and the 5x like like i said before i thought looked uh pretty impressive okay so rounding this out there are some updates to the software on these phones that are exclusive to the 7 series google says they are exclusive because they are limited to the tensor g2 some of them have to do with the cameras. So we're getting a face on blur feature that can be applied to photos not taken on a pixel. So basically anything in a Google Photos library, you can apply this face on blur filter and it will basically do its best to unblur parts of or all of the photo. I mean, I believe Google when it says it can do this because Magic Eraser works and face on blur as a feature on the Pixel 6 series worked, but like you could never see behind the scenes. And I asked Google about this when the Pixel 6 series came out, like how does face and blur work? What is it actually doing? And it says it's using data from both the ultra wide and the primary sensor to pull data and clean up an image in real time. But it doesn't mess with EXIF data. It doesn't, men- it doesn't mess with anything on the post-processing side. So it's really interesting that Google is finding a way to do this on photos that you have taken on older phones or an iPhone or basically anything. Of any company that makes this claim, I am most optimistic that Google can do it right. Correct me if I'm wrong, because yesterday's a blur. This is exclusive to the Pixel 7, though, right? You have to do this on it a- is a Yeah, it's a Pixel 7 exclusive because it's leveraging the GPU yeah. on the G2. I just I just think that's it's a little weird. I feel like they could bring that to at least the Pixel 6 and maybe they will, but and maybe maybe someone will f- figure out a way to do that as we've seen with like, you know, um it took what like oh 2 weeks for Magic Eraser to make th- its way to older older pixels. I mean, somebody's going to hack it for yeah, sure. Yeah, so so but um but yeah, I I'm excited to check that out. Obviously, I didn't I could not do it at the event, but we didn't mention 
macro mode. There's now an official macro mode on the Pixel 7 Pro. Yes. Uh, which did not exist. There was there were people that claimed the 6 Pro could leverage the telephoto lens to get macro shots, but it was never an official macro mode. So I, uh, I want to yeah. chime in on the cameras for one moment and go back to the ultra wide because that actually makes a significant difference in the camera experience between the Pixel 7 and the Pixel 7 Pro because only the 7 Pro got the new wider angle ultra wide lens. The Pixel 7 still has the old one, which means that the Pixel 7 basically doesn't have uh, ultra wide worth crap because the field of view fine. is so no it's the field of view is so it's such a small change compared to the main sensor that it's not worth taking the dip in photo quality yeah i i, I agree you're you're right there's so the pic- which i mean this is something that pickle pixel has struggled with for years it's nice that they're starting to improve it but that improvement should not have been kept to the pixel 7 pro considering Literally, the only two cameras the Pixel 7 gets is the main and the ultrawide. If the ultrawide is going to be the secondary camera that Google chooses to go with, we should have gotten the same ultrawide as the Pixel 7 Pro. So that way, the 7 Pro, you still have the telephoto, you still have all the fancy macro shit, but give regular Pixel 7 users an ultrawide actually worth using because it's not worth using right now. Yeah, I mean, I disagree with you that it's not worth using because a Pixel camera is a Pixel camera and it's still better than the vast majority of of the competition. But I agree that there's no reason Google shouldn't have given the as they did the same on the wide angle front of the selfie camera, right? The, yeah. the selfie camera is improved on the Pixel 7 Pro. It's a wider angle. Uh, it's a higher quality or higher resolution sensor. I mean, I understand that you have to justify the $300 jump between these two a little better, but these components could not have been that much more expensive considering you're buying at the scale that Google is. And if they used it on both phones, they would be using more of them. So I don't understand holding it Wait, back. Wait, am I wrong about this? Hmm? It seems like the selfie camera is the same across both yeah, phones. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say, I believe this year the selfie cam is the same on both phones. Okay, so they did, the they did bring the newer the improvements. Yeah, 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 sorry. Okay. I think the 7 Pro might have the same uh, front-facing camera as the 6 Pro, and now the 7 has the same, has also has that, whereas the 6 did not. Uh, I believe that's right. That would make sense. But at the same time, yeah. I'm kind of on with Manuel on the fact that I don't really want an ultra-wide on the Pixel 7 as much, nearly as much as I would like a quality telephoto lens, mostly because the Pixel 7's zoom is going to be, like, capped at, I think they said it was 8 times zoom. But if the second camera on a Pixel is going to be ultra-wide, it needs to be ultra-wide that's worth using. Because right now, if I switch over to ultra-wide mode, more than half the time, I switch back to the regular photo because it's not worth getting a 12-megapixel image that it's going to be harder to get uh, AI, increase the pixels, increase the clarity, compared to using the main sensor on the Pixel 6 or the Pixel 7. Yeah, Again, it comes down to cost, right? Like Google had a choice to increase the cost of the Pixel 7 and they could have probably brought improvements to the camera and sold it for 650 or 700, especially in today's market when everything, all the components are increasing in price. Like the fact that Google kept the base price the same for both devices probably meant that something had to give. Clearly, the solution is to make a, a Pixel 7 Plus, which is the body of the Pixel 7, but with all of the uh, with the telephoto lens of the 7 Pro, which is all, all I want. Sure, sure. That's definitely going to happen. <laughs> and I'll pay $750. I'll split the difference. $750. It's a deal. 
<laughs> All right, let's talk quickly about a couple of other things. So there's new uh, video, there's better video now, it supports 10-bit HDR, cinematic blur, which is something that Apple introduced with, uh, what's it called, cinematic mode. Samsung's had something like this for a while. I'm, I don't know, I'm used to the Pixel being so far behind Samsung and Apple when it comes to video quality that I, I really don't think this is going to make a big We'll see. I tried out cinematic blur. I, I will say that it, it was doing a good job of shifting between subjects. Like it was quick. It, it was good at tracking uh, in the two times I used it. But, you know, like everything, I, I need to see it on a bigger screen to see how the quality actually uh, translates uh, right. when it's not on the phone. And there's a bunch of small things that are on the 7 series improvements that direct my call. You get like text-based branches now that can be quickly transcribed and you can select them when you're waiting in a queue on, on the phone. Voice typing got better using Google Assistant. You can now input emoji if you want. I don't know why these are exclusive to the 7 and I doubt they will stay exclusive to the 7, but you know this is something that Google needs or is trying to do to spur interest in a very iterative year-over-year upgrade. Finally, the Pixel 7 series will get the Google One VPN for free, which is a cool value add that currently is, is I think, locked to just Google One subscribers. So yeah, I mean, there are some some nice upgrades here. Nothing like groundbreaking. Very briefly, we get, we should talk biometrics. Oh yeah, yeah, sorry. The face no, 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 you're fine. I, I almost forgot. Um, we'll start with the fingerprint sensor. It does seem faster. This is purely just me using the six series and the seven series next to each other. It seemed noticeably faster. It's not ultrasonic speed or, you know, old pixel back sensor speed, right? Um, like it doesn't measure up to either of those, but it is definitely faster at, at unlocking and, and getting you to, to whatever uh, you, you, you want to get to. Um, it also has face unlock, which was rumored for the Pixel 6 Pro for literally a year and just never showed up. It was rumored two weeks before that phone was announced and that it was it just for some reason kept getting rumored and never showed up. Uh, it's here on both phones. I set it up. It was having difficulty tracking my face. It was like, look up. And I did. And it didn't detect that I was looking up. Uh, eventually, it just let me skip past. It was like, ah, you're fine. Go for it. You're failing um, at this. So we're just, we're not going to make you feel bad about it. It was so weird that it was like, it was like, ah, you know what? We probably got it. <laughs> and like, uh, you have a generic like, enough face. We're, we're I guess, we'll yeah. <laughs> It was it was a very funny pop-up uh, after like 30 seconds of me and Steven being like, should we, should I tilt the phone? Should I, am I, <laughs> I, I've set up like face ID on iPhone devices before. I don't know why I said iPhone devices, Jesus Christ, and have never had any issues. So I don't, I don't know why this was giving me a, a headache, but anyway, it's fast. It is actually almost faster than the fingerprint sensor. From what I can tell, uh, it basically like you click the phone on uh, the front facing camera has like a a little yellow ring you know supposed to be like oh we're looking for you um and then like once it detects you it unlocks and you just kind of tap the fingerprint sensor and it it just opens um no matter what finger you can you choose to with. skip the lock screen if you want so it'll oh just... can you i didn't even i didn't even get yeah to... so google confirmed that you. it you can skip the lock screen it's a setting inside the phone and that okay. it will only work with the lock screen so you can't use it as a as a biometric in apps which yes know, i was right at the event i was really hoping that google would have come up with some solution there where it had confidence enough 
in your person, your authentication threshold that it would allow you to say, pay for things using Google wallet or get into your password managers. But like even Google can't make a static camera into something it's not. And I'm actually happy that they didn't try to futz with it too much. Like the fingerprint is the thing. It's still there. It's not like you've they've replaced it and gone back to the Pixel 4. It's just a nice quick way of unlocking your phone. My guess is that they still wanted it to reach a specific security threshold and they couldn't do that last year for whatever reason on the Pixels. My I mean this is my conspiracy theory that the Pixel 6, the front-facing camera on the 6 did not pass muster. So in order to make it pass muster for the seven, both phones needed to use the same sensor. But other than that, like it's not doing much. It can only unlock the phone. It's handy though. Like, like don't get me wrong. Like it's, if it's you fine. have found the fingerprint sensor in the Pixel 6 to be frustrating um, and you're not convinced that the Pixel 7s will actually be noticeably faster, that this might be for you. But yeah, it is a bummer that it only works in the lock screen. Uh, well, that's the Pixels. So let's talk Pixel Watch. This, I think, was the more interesting of the announcements. I mean, nobody had any doubt that the phones were going to be iterative. But I think with the Pixel Watch just being as hyped as it has been, I I think it's impossible to reach those levels of expectations, right? But in your brief time with it, I mean, you have it now, but you can't really talk about it. In your brief time with it at the event, what did you think? I think the hardware is really nice. I personally wish it was like a touch bigger, but that's just my preference for watches. I, I think people will be happy with the size overall. It is a far cry from the, the Watch 5 Pro that uh, I used recently for review. It's really pretty. I think some people will be frustrated by the bezels. Google has done a good job in its software of hiding those. Uh, it, it is all black screens all the time by default like it is like you're not going to notice these don't worry about it don't look at it so if you're fine with with keeping it in that kind of state i don't think it'll matter too much we had a lot of questions about performance uh all those rumors about how like what this chip is made out of and how old is this chip oh it is a it's a four-year-old chip yeah more or less it's not great Uh, I, it's not, and, and granted, like none of the watches were paired with phones, so who, maybe maybe that means something. But it was very funny uh, as we were trying to get photos of the the Pixel Seven and Seven Pro. Like people kept picking up watches, and then you'd get a fast pair notification, or or like there were Pixel Buds Pro out on display, and like I kept getting notifications for like as people were opening and closing the cases, like <laughs> pairing new Pixel Buds. Anyway, yeah, I think it's it feels smooth and fast. Like I I didn't it doesn't feel like a, a Wear OS two watch. It it feels closer in line to what like Samsung has done. It did not feel laggy or uh, you know like like it was struggling to keep up with what I was doing. It was scrolling through apps fine. It was scrolling through settings fine. Like. This is all stuff that will really come down to a full review when someone um, we have we have Taylor reviewing it has used it for you know a week or so. But my immediate impressions of the event were that it was better than I had expected. And really, the big question remaining is: Does that also cover battery life? No, nope. so, probably nope. It won't. Probably not. <laughs> I mean, I find it interesting here that Google made a watch of one size this small. And I think that is a brave decision in a time where both Samsung and Apple are releasing ultra versions of their smartwatches that last multiple days. And 
I understand why, because this is a fitness-focused smartwatch in every possible way. And I think the emphasis on integration with Fitbit is really important here, that you actually need a Fitbit account to start tracking your exercise. You have pretty deep integration with Fitbit. This has been promised from day one. Back when the collaboration with Samsung was announced at IO 2021, so this is over a year now, Fitbit was on the agenda saying, we are going to be the health provider for Wear OS going forward. On Wear OS, that's not a Samsung watch, right? And now it's here. The question is, is it a good fitness tracker while also being a good smartwatch in a world where an Apple Watch Series 8 as a very good, reliable fitness tracker also gets over a day of battery life, right? So not having more than one size, I think, is probably not a good decision. But this has been in the works for so long, as we know, because of the hardware inside of it, that I think Google just could not expand the scope of this project any more than it already had. Can I just say that I'm happy that if we're only getting one size, I'm happy it's the small one? Like, I'm so used to there being like, if there's only one size, it's the big, huge one, because that's what you needed for the battery and all the extra sensors and whatnot. But it also just looks comically big on anyone's wrist. I'm happy that Google went with a watch size that is more accepting of smaller wrists, which is something that Fitbit traditionally is does very well at. So it makes sense that a Pixel watch that is heavily Fitbit influenced would be something that would fit well on my wrist. Like, that's the number one thing I want to try out with a Pixel watch is just I want to see how well that thing fits against my thin bony little wrist i will say that i love this design like i understand the decision that apple made making the apple watch into kind of a rounded square you fit more data on the screen we've had this problem on wear os devices since 2015 when the moto 360 and the LG watch style and all of those watches were announced right this is just a form factor problem but it looks like a watch, you know? The Apple Watch looks like an Apple Watch and Apple has pushed that through culture and everybody knows it's an Apple Watch. But every time I wear a Scoggin Falster or I get my hands on a new Galaxy Watch, I enjoy wearing it far more than an Apple Watch because I just like the design. I like the way round watches look on my wrist. I think this is elegant. I know everybody has been pointing at the size of the bezels. I don't think that's going to be a big deal in day-to-day -day use, to be honest, as long as the UI kind of like works around it. So my biggest concern is the battery life and just the fact that this is running a really old SOC and whether or not Wear OS 3.5 can keep up with it. Yeah. My partner is a is an iPhone user and, and I showed photos of, of the watch to her when I got back last night and she was like, um, she has uh, an Apple watch that she doesn't use that, that was gifted to her and she's like, yeah, I would be much more inclined to like wear that like day to day if that was like Apple supported and I was like, why? And she was like, well, like it just, it looks like an actual watch. Like it, it, it like would blend better and not look like a computer on my wrist, which I think... It might draw people in. This looks like jewelry. Um, you can make it look more like a fitness tracker if, as you swap out bands, which we're running long already. We don't. I don't need to linger on it, but the band swap 
situation is like really cool like steven and i got a demo of it yesterday and like it works really well like if you are interested in spending a lot of money on bands which you will have to you can build like a pretty cool collection that can fit whatever you need it to fit but yeah uh, a lot of questions about the watch i would say i mean i know ara you have a lot of opinions about the bands so maybe we can can touch on that for a second (laughs) i have Um, so many opinions here but the first of them being how the fuck do you not work with third-party accessory makers to make sure that you have a good variety of bands at release because google did not give us enough variety here and all the prices are ridiculous we have four band styles each one only comes in like two or three colors and it's just not enough yeah, and more importantly, like after you have the... spent $350 on this watch, they want you to go and spend another 60 or 80 Are you kidding me? Well, this is just them matching Apple Watch pricing, in my opinion, from the watch itself, basically. You, you gotta know, earn it... that, and they have not earned that I, yet. I agree, but the silicon bands are 50 That's what Apple charges. You know, the watch itself starts at 350 That's a little cheaper than the Series 8, but if you're getting the LTE model, you know, that's 400 The The 41-millimeter uh, Apple Watch GPS only starts at 400 I believe, which is, I would say, what this is close in size to. But yeah, I mean, that's what they're going for. They're going for... We have made the Apple Watch for Android, whether or not that's a good idea, or if it even is, I I think remains to be seen. I I think Google has seen some success, but limited success with the made for Google accessory program. And I've talked to manufacturers who are part of it, and I think they enjoy that they get kind of uplifted. They get to sell directly on the Google store. They get prominence in the in the marketing materials and they get to charge a premium as a result. The thing that I completely agree with Ara is that they had not a single third party partner at launch here. Like they didn't have a Bellroy. They did not have any like rugged bands. You know, this is a fitness watch. You may want to not wear a crappy silicon band. Yeah, we had the like, mechanisms just... in place in order to get accessory, like third-party accessories that were high quality at launch. And Google chose not to use any of them to try and get you to use their bands because they think their bands are the best. And I'm sorry, Google, but after seeing your cases for the last two years, you don't know accessories half as well as you should. I was not impressed with any of the bands they had on the on the table. To be honest, I I um I have seen I, one that no. looks that that looks like I would maybe pay for it if it was half the price. Sixty bucks for some of these. Should also mention that one of them is the is the metal uh, bands, like the chain bands, and those are coming sometime in the spring, apparently. So for like two hundred dollars or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I ordered one of the crafted leather bands because. I just want a nicer band than the active one that they put in the box. Thankfully, I had like $110 in credit that I'd earned over the years. So it only cost me $20 Canadian. And I'm sure Google's banking on people doing that. Like you bought a phone, you've bought phones every year, you haven't spent any of your credit. Here's your opportunity to actually like spend some of it. This is only for Google One members, I think, right? You get 10% back in credit when you have a Google One membership. Anyway. I don't think it's 10 well, for me, it's 10. I don't know if it's for you. But again, like the leather options were limited. The I like just a nice saddle brown leather band to wear with a smartwatch, right? I do that with basically every watch that I buy. There wasn't a single dark brown leather option. The only one was this linen option that has like a double loop latch that I, I find really 
awkward looking and I don't think it looked good on me. So I ended up getting the ivy color, which is like a green color. I don't know if it's going to look good, but anyway, it just, the whole thing feels weird. It feels haphazard and limited and weird. And that is what I'll say on that. We should probably quickly talk about the tablet. Uh, You mentioned it at the beginning, Will. We don't know much more about it now, but we did see the dock design. I think everybody who saw the presentation kind of understands what Google's going for. You know, cheapy 10-inch tablet with a dock. It'll basically double as a Google Home. Quickly, like, what's your take on that? I hope it's uh, priced to compete with the 329 iPad or it's uh, doomed. I don't know. Like, I I think if it's above $400 with the dock, I, I, I don't know who's buying it. Yeah, fair. More to say about that, I think. Yeah, uh, 2023, I'll talk more about it. But It's not uh, coming out we, until next year, so we got a, we yeah. got a ways to go. All right, we're yeah. going to run through some Nest stuff quickly because we're going long on this. The Nest announcements came earlier this week. I think a few standouts, obviously a new Google Home app, which I think is probably more important to some Woo! of our listeners than the hardware. It's compatible with Matter, so a lot of the devices that you're going to buy in the next couple of years that are going to support Matter will quickly and easily set up using FastPair, which is fantastic. There's a new favorite screen, which will allow you to kind of like create the home screen that you've been wanting. There's a new media player, better volume controls, more customization, routines, things like that. What's your take on this? They're finally giving us all the things that we should have had whenever they first started moving the Nest thermostats and cameras into the app. Oh, that's the other thing. Scrubbing through a camera is now not a horizontal mess. They've just brought back the old Nest design, the Nest app design, which lets you scrub vertically. Anybody who shipped a horizontal scrub on a camera should be fired because that was a terrible experience. So now that that's coming back, uh, you said spaces, Will. Tell us a a little bit more about that. It'll basically let you define you know, a certain group of devices does not need to be in a specific room together, right? So as it works right now, you can have like living room, dining room, bedroom, etc. And instead, this will be like, here are all the things connected to what your kids use or something like that, right? And so like the night before the event, Stephen and I were, were hanging out and he like showed me his current like Google Home setup. And it was like, four different groups for his like dining room or whatever because like there's specific things that he wants to like run and he doesn't want them all to turn on when he's like activate like my dining room right and so like this fixes that he he's certainly not alone in this issue that is coming next year i don't know if it will be when this rolls out to everyone and if if it'll be there um but it is uh i think big they're taking it slow which is probably for the best yeah probably there is a preview program that you can sign up for now to get access to is it available yet? I thought that it was Oh, no, sorry. Next it's coming. Weeks. It's Next coming. They yeah. accidentally rolled out a dog food version of the app sure to did. a bunch of people in the, the first day that this was announced. So, like, so former AP owner Artem um, got <laughs> access to it and just, like, ripped it apart because it was super buggy because that's what he's want to do. But nobody actually has the preview program or is not in the preview program yet. Uh, because it doesn't exist, but uh, soon you'll be able to sign up. Actually, that's not true. I was able to sign up for the preview program on my iPhone which is odd, but it hasn't rolled out to me yet. So we'll see. All right, hardware, new Nest Doorbell Wired. We knew this was coming. The old Nest Doorbell Wired was released in 2018. This looks like the battery powered version. It's a little bit shorter because it doesn't need the battery. It has 24 seven recording, which the battery version does not. It has better quality video 
and has a wider field of view, which is also important. It's cheaper price, 180 bucks. What else? New colors. Are they new colors? They looked pretty similar to the old ones. I think the same colors as the oh, battery the, sorry. version. So yeah. four colors, dumb names, snow, linen, ash, and ivy. It's like white, gold, gray, and grayer. One of them's like it. a green gray. Okay. I can't really tell. I mean, I'm just happy it's here. It, it doesn't need to reinvent the wheel. Now that we have the Google Home app improving to where the camera will actually be not a horrible experience to go try and go back through your feed and view something, this is excellent and I'm happy that it's here. I wish it had been here a couple of months ago so my sister could have bought it for her house. I know I will not have an opportunity to try this anywhere in the near future, but a solid wired doorbell from Nest was so helpful for so long and I'm happy we're getting that again. I think one of the biggest improvements here over the current wired doorbell is that there's local memory so you actually get an hour's worth of recording of of what Google considers important events. If you lose Wi-Fi, it will upload to the cloud after the fact. So you always get at least an hour's worth of local recording, uh, which you didn't get on the wired, the old wired version, which is cool. I'm reviewing this, I hope. So I'm going to, I'll have more to say about this. The other new piece of hardware is the Nest Wi-Fi Pro. This is a Wi-Fi 6E compatible set of mesh routers. They're not compatible with the existing Nest Wi-Fi, which is bananas to me. But Will, what's your take on this? Um, and they look I like eggs. <laughs> they, they do. They look better in person. They had them at the at the event. They were smaller. They were somehow smaller than I thought they would be, and bigger than they than Stephen thought they would be. Uh, I don't. You can explain that. But yeah, I don't know. They they do look like eggs. They're okay. They're expensive. They're really expensive. <laughs> like that's kind of my take. They it's two hundred dollars for one, and then are there four hundred for three? Four hundred for a three pack? No, it's yeah, two hundred for one, three hundred yeah. for two, and four hundred for three. Yeah, I don't know. I have both the original Nest or like the, the Google Wi-Fi, and then the Nest Wi-Fi six, uh, and I disliked both of them. And I've tried everything. Like I have a very thin, tall house, so mesh routers really need to work hard and i never got good performance from any of the nest wi-fi's um i ended up using an eero and then an eero 6 and then i switched to a amplify alien and now i'm on the synology 6600 ax which has been incredible Uh, but those are more like heavy duty routers this is just meant to be like simple you plug it in it just works it's got a thread border router which is great it'll allow for matter support down the road so and, it's and good. you know uh you know what it has i was i was looking at the spec sheet uh it has qos support for stadia oh good right <laughs> there's your uh there's my there's segue your, uh, yeah there you go um did we get all, did we get all the nest announcements uh there's nest renew which uh, was already announced but they're rolling it out oh, right. yeah um what is that I, I i i barely even looked at it it allows you to kind of like customize the usage of your thermostat to save money matches the fossil fuel electricity used in your home with enough clean energy to cover the average u.s household okay so it's like renewable energy credits hmm. but it was like it's like a subscription thing right it's Isn't a ten dollar like- a month subscription in order to put clean energy into your home hmm. i want to learn more about this let's put this uh, on the back burner and, and talk about it in a future future episode sure. once, once I'll, I'll force you to subscribe to it and you can tell us tell us about it um all right let's talk stadia um 
obviously this happened very suddenly last week. For it happened <laughs> after we recorded, so we couldn't. I mean, we could have had an emergency podcast, but we were uh, preparing for this week, so we didn't. It's shutting down in January 2023 until like the store is closed already. We currently don't have any details on exporting data. Google says that it'll be part of the Google takeout. So some companies will allow you to take that information and import them on other platforms. Ubisoft is going to make that a priority. And I think a few other developers have. Speaking of developers and publishers, a lot of them came out that day basically saying, holy shit, this is the first we're hearing of it. We had games coming out in a couple of months, and now I guess they're not. So it appears that the communication happened very suddenly. For the team, too. For they, this team they, as well. They were saying that like it was you know an hour before we found out or whatever. There was a all-hands meeting. You know, Email went out, and, and that's how they learned. Right. Yeah. I guess the silver lining for some Stadia players is that it'll be everybody who's purchased the Founders Edition, the Premier Edition, any hardware, and any games will be refunded all of those purchases, right? From the very beginning, from like 2019, which is great. Like a lot of people are saying, we're gonna put that money towards buying a PS5 or uh, an Xbox Series X or, or something, a, a Steam Deck. Uh, but I mean, Zach Laidlaw used to do partnerships and, and, and social for AP is like one of those Stadia stands who just loved not just the service, but like the community that he fostered from it. And hearing from those people that day was absolutely heartbreaking. Just like Google Plus Ara all over again. Don't, don't bring that up. I have sorry, enough hurt in my heart right now. But yeah, I don't understand killing it so suddenly. Like if you had things that were still in the pipeline and games that have been in development for so long, it it feels like the new head of Warner Discovery canning movies that were either in post-production or still like at the tail end of production rather than letting them release. It's, you spent the money already. It's back. Well, this this was the, this wasn't first party software though. These were third party devs that were that were like Google already gave up the ghost on first party software. Like a couple oh of yeah, years no, ago. I yeah. know, but okay. it's still developers that Google had been working with for sure. But uh, yeah, it, I I think that that is different that different than like because like it, it it's the same for their like they had literally just. Uh, the day before rolled out a new UI on desktop uh, for Stadia. Like, I mean, like pe- they like the team was still making changes to like how the service works. So, yeah, I mean, look, it's expensive to run, even though they had shut down their first party publisher that never made any games. It still was expensive, right? You had to buy access to the games. You had to work with the developers on ports. You had to maintain the front end, the servers themselves that were powering Stadia. It's all expensive. And Google is going through a significant retrenchment right now in both personnel and costs. And Phil Harrison, the head of Stadia, he just said like the underlying technology is a success, but the product itself was not. And a lot of people are shitting on him for not running Stadia properly, but a lot of analysts and Stadia subscribers alike had been waiting for this. It was not a matter of if, it was a matter of when, right? 
I, I mean, people thought this was a matter of when in 2019, when they announced this and they were doing the rollout, because like, I remember a, a lot of people being like, what is going to happen if slash when you shut down Stadia? Because like Google has a reputation for this stuff. And this is another, I would not blame anyone if Google announces some cool new software feature next year or, or, or service rather, if someone goes like, no, nah, I got burned on Google plus I got burned on stadia. I'm not even bothering with it. They're just going to shut it down in, in two years or whatever. And it'll unceremoniously die and maybe I'll get my money back, but who knows? And, and it's, it's a problem. I, I think for Google that they need to get under control. I totally agree. And this is different because most of Google's products are free, right? So when you use a product that eventually gets shut down, it is what it is. It's just the cost of doing business, right? Another free project that you're not the customer, you're the product, right? Because Google is selling ads against you and your usage. But for a paid service like Stadia, it's different. It's a different value proposition, right? Google is making money as a direct-to-consumer company in that in that situation. And there aren't that many Google products like that. And it's really unfortunate that it, it appears like Google can't stick the landing for anything that is direct to consumer, that is subscription-based, that's not just ad-supported. And we've seen that if they can hold out long enough, eventually it'll get better. Like YouTube Music was a dumpster fire when it first relaunched in 2018. But these days, YouTube Music is actually pretty good apart from that weird mini player whatever happened with copa whenever they had to change things on youtube for kids like youtube music has a decent selection now it's not really buggy anymore algorithms have improved the mixes have improved we're finally getting a more modern material you design if google can stick it out long enough and actually put in the work they can improve things they just keep killing shit before they can but YouTube Music came out of them killing Google Play Music, yes, which no, was a service was, that was already built up. Yeah. And it took them four years to get back to where they were, basically. Well, like, they're still not quite the future parody, but yes. No, but like yeah. there were like, look, I, I still pay $8 a month for YouTube Music slash YouTube Premium. That means I was on the first month of Google Play Music, right? Like I have that grandfathered plan. I, I will hold on to it until I die or they take it away from me. Yep. But like... Like, I switched to Spotify after, like, two months of trying to use YouTube Music when it first launched because I was like, this is terrible. Like, they ruined it. Like, and, like, maybe it'll get back to where it was and then better someday. But it took forever to get there. And, like, why why would I stick it out? And, like, I don't think they'll kill YouTube Music in two years and relaunch it again. But maybe they will. And, like, I don't feel confident in that. Like, not in a way where I'm like, I don't think Spotify is going to die tomorrow. I don't, you know, they're just going to keep bothering me to buy audiobooks. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, I think Spotify is slowly ruining its service by pushing. I agree. I, I kind of want to switch to something else. But well, uh, you can you always know. try YouTube Music again. When was the last time you tried it, actually? I didn't like that it did they change the thing where it was like influencing my YouTube recommendations and my my subscriptions because that was the other thing I didn't like it when it launched was that it was shouldn't I don't think I've okay. seen anything I had my... to like make a fresh YouTube account when YouTube music launched because it was like where if you add an artist to your collection we're also going to subscribe you to that artist and I was like that's not what I want at all these are different like YouTube and YouTube music are like I'm not I'm using them for very different purposes I mean granted I don't subscribe to a whole lot of artists and the artists that I do subscribe to 
I still see the subscription in YouTube, but it doesn't influence the recommendations. Yeah, but like I use my I like my YouTube bookmark is goes to subscriptions, not the homepage. So I don't I don't like that. Anyway, I don't know. Maybe I'll uh, is RDO still around? I know they're not. Oh my god! Don't please don't say that. <laughs> Ara knows how much I loved RDO. RDO ruled! I found so oh many god, good dude. artists through RDO's social RDO feed. was... Oh the, my god. Oh, it, I have <laughs> such fond memories of RDO. Because like... Oh, dude. I, I, I'm like, like crying here just thinking about how good it was. It was the only streaming service that took albums seriously. Yeah. I, I albums, loved RDO. Remember those? Yeah. Oh, and then, and then uh, who bought them? It was uh, uh, Pandora. Pandora. Yeah, and then turned it into their premium service that wasn't available in Canada, so I had to switch to Spotify, and I've been sad ever since. Like, I think they shut down in twenty nineteen or so, maybe even earlier. Audio, or I think earlier. Oh, yeah. sorry, twenty fifteen. Yeah, I was gonna say. It's I been think that it's long. been it's been a long time. Wow, Audio was great. I, I hey, that was R.I.P. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, let's uh, let's wrap this up. Jules is already resenting us for having to uh, edit an episode this long. I I wouldn't even cause say that the shutdown of Stadia is a cautionary tale because like this has happened before and it will happen again, but it will really make people think twice about signing up for Google products where you have to give them money. And there was some conversation about the pixel program, right? That under Rick Osterloh, will this eventually come to an end? Will the well dry up for Pixel products, given the fact that like the Pixel phones don't sell in great volume? But this is interesting that it's a year that Google is doubling down on that name, that they're launching two net new categories in the Pixel lineup with the Pixel Watch and the Pixel Tablet. The Pixel phones have never been better. And whether or not they sell in such great volume, I think the Pixel line will continue to be much more important to Google than Stadia ever could have been. It always felt like Stadia was sort of a side hobby for Google, you know, and and like I just don't I don't see Pixel being a side hobby for Google ever, even if it doesn't sell in the same volume as Apple or, or Samsung. Uh, they they closed out the event yesterday by saying like the Pixel family has come together. Like I remember that was like a specific moment where I was like, oh, that's, and it made me think of Stadia, but it was like, this is very different language of like, we are, this is a thing. We are building an ecosystem in the same way that Apple and Samsung have and, and uh, an ecosystem of devices and software that ties together. And it's cool that they're finally doing it. It's taken them a long time to, but, um, you know, I, especially once we have the tablet, I, I think it'll be really interesting to see how that holds up compared to to Apple and uh, and Samsung. Yeah, agreed. All right, we would love to hear from you about all of these announcements. Uh, let us know. You can find us. I'm at Journey Dan. Will is at Will underscore Saddleberg. Ara is at Ara Wagco. Uh, you can tweet at us. You can email us, podcast at androidpolice.com. Uh, we love getting your feedback. Read Will's excellent hands-on of the Pixel 7 series. Then go read Manuel's also excellent hands-on of the Pixel Watch. You can read all of our coverage. We have a ton of stuff on the site, hardware, software, everything. Find some really good launch deals. You can get some decent trade-ins, some discounts on these products. Uh, You can read Will's rant that he mentioned earlier. Taylor's also talking about the Pixel Watch. Is it the right competitor to the Apple Watch for Android? Next week, you can expect our reviews on the site. 
Uh, you can stay tuned for that. We can't say exactly when, but they're coming. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening. We have, I've received more positive feedback about this podcast in the last week than I think I have since we launched. So it makes my heart happy. Thank you for listening. Tell your friends about us. Rate us if you can. I know the main place to do that is on iTunes, but do it anyway. Uh, It really helps. And then just uh, tell your friends about it. There's another great Android podcast out there and we really appreciate it. All right, that's it. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Bye.